Hi, I'm Dr. Janice Morrow. Thanks for joining us for another episode of American Mood Swings, where we talk about the brain and all things related to mental health. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Janice Morrow, and I wanted to welcome you tonight for my first episode of American Mood Swings. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, how this show came about uh, in our in this first episode. So uh, a, a, a friend of mine, Rick Kilpack, and I met uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, we were both working at Paramount Studios. He was a tech person who set up all the shows. I helped everybody launch their computer systems. And I was uh, just out of chiropractor school, and I was setting up shop at Paramount Studios in Hollywood. So we we kind of, we were both gym rats. We met, and we, we used to chat a lot. And Rick had I had the idea for this show. He had been struggling with mental illness since he was 19. He was diagnosed with bipolar. He had been on a full scholarship to the University of Iowa, a football scholarship. He had been his class president, an Eagle Scout, a straight A student or class president. And, uh, you know, life was looking really great. And during his freshman year, he kind of had some kind of break uh, early on and was diagnosed with bipolar. He had never had um, any history of it and dropped out and was getting treated and later finished his college degree in film and television. But um, he had been struggling and my background was in neuroscience. I studied uh, neuroscience down in UC San Diego and had worked at the um, Institute of Aging and the Alzheimer's Research Center. So we kind of bonded over that. We talked about this show and how great it would be. Uh, but then we eventually lost touch. He had left town. Uh, he moved back to Iowa to take care of his elderly parents. And um, and then it was kind of serendipitous. Just about, I don't know, just a few years ago, five, six years ago, I am in, in the interim since I had seen Rick, had had a had a lot happen on my on a personal level. My, my younger brother, who has been living in Hawaii for the last 35 years, had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. He had come home for a family visit um, maybe a year or two before that. He moved to Hawaii at 17. He and um, he came home for a visit with his little son and uh, something wasn't right. He was acting very strangely, hallucinating, thinking people were after him. And um, my mom recognized that something was wrong right away. Uh, kept trying to get him to um, to go get some help while he was home visiting in, in Ventura. Uh, he would not get help and it, things just kind of got worse. So a couple of years goes by, I'm in Hawaii. I'm just about to leave. I, I'm supposed to leave the next day. I'd been there for three weeks and he came to visit me at my hotel room in Waikiki and uh, something was off. He, again, having thoughts that people were trying to kill him. Um, but what was really scary is that he said he, he was sharing with me that um, he had been hearing thoughts that I had paid somebody $90,000 to kill him. Uh, which was devastating. I said, I, you know, I pleaded with him, like, why would I do that? I love you. You're my brother. Uh, you know, you mean the world to me and I don't even have $90,000. Why, why would I do something like that? But as the day progressed, he, he kind of slept in the hotel room. I called a friend of mine who had experience with mental illness. And so he had worked in the social care system. I was pretty scared. I didn't quite know how to handle it. Should I get another hotel room? Um, should I stay with him? And he said, well, if it gets worse, leave get another hotel room. Don't, don't stay. Uh, he, it sounds like he's okay though to, to stay with. But anyway, later that night, it did get worse. I had to, he kept talking about people trying to kill us and they were going to torture us and I couldn't get him to go to a hospital. So uh, I started to leave the hotel. I just had to get out of there and he joined me. He's like, don't leave me here alone. Uh, when the hotel room door opened, he let out uh, a blood curling scream 
to there were the whole uh, the elevator was full of people and all my brother saw was people trying to kill him it was like nothing i had ever seen it was very scary still couldn't get him to go get help we went down the stairs um hung out and then later that night we came back to the hotel and um it was about one in the morning i was trying to go to sleep and i could hear my brother pacing uh, in the room for over an hour, just like he put his shoes on, he, he was breathing very heavy. It was very, very scary. And um, it just kind of tried to lay there, didn't know how to handle the situation. And then I, I started dozing off and I could hear him out on the balcony of our hotel room. We were on the sixth floor and I could hear him having a conversation. So I'm I'm watching him. I get up and um, he's just talking to himself. And I, you know, I kind of went out there and said, Hey, I, David, come, or come inside. You're going to, um, let's talk about it. You're going to, please let me take you to the doctors. Um, I think, you know, something's going on. Don't be embarrassed. Let's get you some medicine or some treatment. Something's going on. Something's not right. There's nobody out here. I, I kind of started to go back to sleep, went back out on the hotel and he was kind of climbing over the edge. And I was terrified. My brother's about six foot two, 180 pounds. I'm five foot two, 125 pounds. So I attempted to pull my brother back over. I was afraid he was going to jump and kill himself. And I almost went over the edge with him. Um, it was definitely the scariest night of my life. And I, I went to the bathroom with my cell phone, started to cry, called the police for help. I fully expected him to die and I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to see it happen. And um, police came, let them in. Long story short, the last time I looked out while after the police got there, my brother's like on the edge of the hotel, almost like somebody on a typewriter, a type wire, a wire, you know, like in a circus kind of, it was surreal and scary. I thought again, he's going to fall over, but they were able to subdue him, take him to a hospital. And so that had just happened. I was with my brother and, and I'm at the Apple store the next day getting checking my email. I didn't used to travel with my laptop. So I would stop by the Apple store every day, a couple times a day and just check my email. And I got a, a, a message from Rick who I hadn't heard from in 10 years after this like worst night of my life and saying, Hey, Janice, how you doing? And I said, not so good, Rick. Nice to hear from you. So we, he called, we talked for a couple hours and I told him about what had happened, but I don't know if you believe in God or just have any spiritual beliefs, but I definitely thought that was like the universe or God sending me a message that we were supposed to be in each other's lives again and connect. Um, I didn't really know anyone else besides Rick that was struggling with mental illness. I had known of several people that were depressed. We chatted again. We kind of started feeling it out. Neither of us had agents or managers though. So for anybody out there, if you're not aware, it's very difficult to get your material or show. Well, unless you're out here on social media. Um, if you try to send a show ideal or anything, a script to anybody without an agent or an entertainment lawyer, it almost always gets returned to you. It gets, it's, it's either um, unopened or returned to you with a strongly worded letter from attorneys. Uh, they don't take anything unsolicited because they are worried about lawsuits and copyright infringement and people suing them for saying, so the studios, I was told this, but I thought, what the heck, anyway, I'm gonna try. But anyway, we, you know, he, he lives in Park City, Utah. So another year and a half goes by. I'm in Hawaii again. I go every, every January. I had a good friend named Lois Kane, who was like my second mother for the last 25 years. I met Lois 
the first week I moved to Hawaii uh, over 20, over 20, about 24, 25 years ago, I met her in an international symposium on herbal medicine. So for the next 20 years, I stayed with Lois. We talked weekly. She was definitely like a second mother, my closest friend here on this earth. And on uh, January 19th, 2020, I had, I had been at her house for three weeks, my, the usual routine at Christmas time. And I left to go to yoga at 830 in the morning. And as I left yoga, I was getting text messages. So what happened? There was a gentleman that Lois had let stay in her house named, Jer well, we all knew him by Yarda, uh, but his real name was Jerry Hanel. And 30 minutes after I left the house, uh, Yarda murdered Lois. He, uh, he murdered, he stabbed another woman named Gisela King. He shot four policemen and killed two. So he killed three people, attempted to kill four uh, went inside, set the house on fire and killed himself. And this is in a very high end area, Diamond Head um, in Waikiki. So probably over yeah, about 11 homes burned. Um, it was an active. So first he killed Lois, stabbed her, beat her up. The details are pretty graphic and scary and horrible. Um, hard to think about. Um, then Gisela came downstairs looking for Lois and he started stabbing her with a garden hoe, almost died. If it hadn't been for the intervention of neighbors hearing Gisela scream and running down the driveway, uh, she would be dead too. Then, uh, he went inside, the police showed up. It was an active shooter situation. So after, during an active shooter situation, um, the, they can't send any more police in or, and he, he set the house on fire. There was silence for a while. Everybody sees the house going up in flames, uh, but they couldn't send the fire department in for close to an hour or over an hour because they didn't know if he was alive. They presumed that he had killed himself, but they nobody was sure. So it was a it was kind of a, a nightmaric, horrific apocalypse. It looked like a war zone uh, a few hours later, but I, I had left. I was getting text messages from friends that my friend Lois, this gentleman had lived at her house. She didn't even charge him rent. He was supposed to stay for a few months. He had been a handyman at a, at a condo building where she lives. And uh, she, he was down on his luck after he got fired and the condo board, uh, anyway, he asked if he could, he asked Lois if he could stay at her house for a few months to get back on his feet. And 12 years later, he was still there. His, he had paranoid schizophrenia. Um, he had not hurt anyone or ever been extremely violent. Uh, several neighbors had placed restraining orders on him. Twice they went to court and charges were dismissed, but uh, everybody was afraid of him. He was getting worse and worse and worse. And Lois was off island in San Diego, taking care of her mother for several years. So by the time she got back, he was in a much worse state. She tried to evict him. It's almost impossible to evict people from your house. It takes a, it's a long process, um, at least in California and Hawaii. Um, tenants have a lot of rights, even whether they're paying or not. But it was a it was a really tragic day. I, I'm, I thank God every day. I don't know why my life was spared. Because normally I would have been there at that time. My normal routine was to wake up, visit with Lois, have coffee or tea. And I'd usually walk out of her house at 10 or 1030. That was the routine for like the last 20 years when she was there. We always visited in the morning because she would get busy doing her volunteer projects and all kinds of stuff during the day and evening. She was supposed to take me to the airport that night. So I never went back to the house. Her house was burned. It was all over the news for a few days. And then um, a week later, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. So that started dominating the news, but it was pretty devastating and emotional. Um, 
I couldn't wrap my head around that she was gone and her the violent nature of her death being murdered. Um, I couldn't, this man, I knew Yarda for 12 years. He had been super, super kind to me. And I almost considered him like family. When I went to Hawaii, it was always nice to know um, that I, I have a brother there and a former sister-in-law and a nephew, but I'm not real close to my brother because he's very sick and um, don't see my former sister-in-law too much. I always considered, I knew it was a nice feeling knowing that I had Yarda or Lois if something ever happened to me. You know, it was in an accident. He Often he picked me up at the airport, gave me a ride there. I love salsa. So he every time he'd pick me up and we'd get to the house, he had a huge bowl of homemade salsa for me. Um, we walked his dog, Butch. He had, he loved his dog, Butch. He had a pit bull and we walk his dog in the mornings. We kayaked, we went to Chinatown for vegetables. So even to this day, it's been almost four years, three and a half years. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that this person that had never been violent. And I saw all these good as Lois did. Lois saw his good side. So when people would say all these horrible things about him and were afraid of him, she thought that they were exaggerating, that he's really harmless. And so what I saw with him and, and another good friend in San Diego, her son had snapped. And is that a lot of times, you know, I became aware that these people that aren't violent can have an episode where they just like almost have a psychotic break and they just snapped. So anyway, Lois is killed. Um, Rick and I get back in touch. He heard about it. He he came to visit me in California. And again, we start talking about this show and like, we, we really got to get the show out there. And then uh, just a, like eight, eight or 10 weeks later, it, you know, COVID shut the world down. And for the next two years, we watched you know, thousands and thousands of people around the world lose their loved ones without being able to say goodbye because of the restrictions at hospitals and visitation and uh, people having not being able to have a funerals for their loved ones and say goodbye or be with them, hold their hand. And it was very traumatic losing a loved one to COVID or during COVID and not being able to be with them. I was scared. My mother was terminally ill with heart disease and um, I was taking care of her several days a week in Ventura, but uh, um, it was always a big concern. I prayed every day that I would not get COVID or give her COVID. Um, didn't want her to die alone in a hospital with a tube in her throat, right? As none of us wanted that for our elderly parents or loved ones. But Rick and I really, the whole, you know, substance abuse skyrocketed, the loneliness and uh, suicide shot through the roof. So we just really committed ourselves. It's time. We really, really, really need to get this out there. And we had the time. So that's kind of like the impetus. And the, and so 2020, I started mailing out. It's called, a, well, we had a treatment and mailing this out. I had been told by friends, don't mail it, don't waste a dime because no one's going to open it. So for the next year, though, I thought I'm not working anyway. I'm a chiropractor. You know, no one's coming in for the first three months at all during COVID. And then it was very slow for the next year and a half anyway. I had a lot of time. So I would mail these out, trying to get an agent. Nothing happened. Um you know, mostly strongly worded letters from attorneys like, thanks, don't contact us, don't send us anything. This isn't how it's done. The nicest rejection I got was from Disney, which was really funny. At least they were they were the nicest rejection. So I, I have a dream that uh, when we're winning an Emmy for this show that I will thank Disney publicly because at least the person who wrote the letter said, we, we can't, this is not our policy. This isn't how it's done, but she was kind about it. And she sent me links and, you know, the, the, here's the way that you should go about it. You need to try to get an agent and sent me links and 
where I could try to find an agent, but I really wasn't having much luck. Um, we did, we were, we were very close to selling the show. I had meetings with a company called Insomniac, which is a, a division of Live Nation. Um, they were going to start a TV streaming service and we were in talks. We had a couple of meetings. I was pretty excited about it. And it just, they decided to, to pivot back to live events. And so last year I had to leave the studio after 22 years as a chiropractor at the studio. Um, my lease was up. Netflix had moved in three years earlier and they wanted the whole studio. I was, my office was based at Rally Studios in Los Angeles, California, across the street from Paramount, where I had been for 10 years. So a total of about 22 years as a chiropractor at the studios. But I had to leave. And I thought, okay, it's finally time. You know, mom's passed. Um, uh, the the gig in Hollywood's up. And I, I've always wanted to plan to, my plan was always to return back to Oahu. So I was kind of preparing for that, mentally thinking it's time. The universe is telling me it's time to go. And the very next day after I left, I left on February 28, 2022. And um, I finally got a manager through a, a friend who, who sent her our show. She doesn't generally do scripted. Uh, shows, excuse me, our, our show is, is called a docu-style news show. It's a non-scripted, uh, unscripted show. Uh, so she doesn't generally represent people from this genre. She usually does reality and scripted shows, but she really liked the, the format. We describe this show as the 60 minutes of mental health. It's uh, structured. We hope to have, just cover all, all things related to brain and mental health. Uh, we want to have uh, a segment at the the last segment of every show will have uh, a faith-based leader, a spiritual-based leader, or some kind of a nonprofit as well. We really want there to be an emphasis on faith and spirituality as well, because we both are we're both strong Christians, but we want it to be reflective of the world that we live in. We live in a very uh, and there's so many faiths, and we strongly both feel that faith is for a lot of people what keeps them going. Um, when they're having struggles, whether depression, sadness, divorce, loss of a loved one, financial ruin, uh, a lot of people, what keeps them from ultimately killing themselves is their spiritual beliefs or in a belief in a higher power that it's a sin, that this is not what God wants. Um, so we want that to be part of the show, but we're going to cover everything from depression, addiction, all the mood categories, eating disorders, psychotic disorders, you know, rage, jealousy, sexual addiction. There's just, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of potential topics. So we're going to have a subject matter expert on every show. And then we're going to have somebody like it's called a lived experience person, somebody who's, who has actually lived this, whether it's a family member of a loved one who passed away or somebody, somebody who's really walk the shoes you know if we're talking about depression um or addiction i want somebody that's been able to that that work through their addictions and went to hell and back um sharing their story and I'll, and thankfully at this time mental health is a very timely topic and a lot more people there's a lot of shows out there now incorporating a character in their show with a mental illness or you know some kind of cognitive impairment whether it's autism depression but um this is to our knowledge this is the first show that's completely devoted to the topic of brain and mental health we want to bring in you know western treatments traditional western medicines but also anything and everything out there alternative treatments that are being used around the world uh, to help with these problems 
So that's kind of the show in a nutshell. Um, we, again, we, we're so welcome to, to input and ideas from, from viewers and listeners. We hope, we know that there's thousands and thousands of people out there struggling at this time in the United States. I don't know about mostly, probably not in the rest of the world, but we're, we're pretty much experiencing mass shootings on a weekly basis. It used to be, you know, periodically and now, so it's kind of like we're living in this heightened state of fear and trauma. Fentanyl, opioid, opioid overdose is the number one killer for people under 50. And if you're under 50 years old, uh, we have an opioid epidemic here in the United States. It's a very powerful um, central nervous system depressant. And we're, we're losing way too many people, even if they're accidental overdoses, it's very deadly. So we've got mat weekly mass shootings and opioid epidemic. Suicide is the number, is the second leading cause of death for people over 50. A week ago, Sinead O'Connor, who, Sinead O'Connor, an Irish uh, pop star from the 80s, who had a beautiful, beautiful voice and struggled with mental health and and depression. Her uh, her uh, son killed himself two years ago, and she had been dealing with that pain and grief. And pain is is universal, and a lot of people are experiencing enormous pain. And we just feel that a show like this can be very helpful and make help people feel that they're not alone. It's it's not specific. It, it's it pain and addiction and these mental health stuff. You know, often like Rick, it's just out of the blue. Uh, my brother in Hawaii, I mean, we don't know when he started having symptoms of mental health. He left at 17 and we only saw him a few days a year because, you know, he lived in Hawaii. But um, watching this this beautiful, kind man that had never been aggressive and just a very loving father, watching his as his sister, watching his life spiral uh, where he hasn't been able to see his son and difficulty holding a job and all the pain and suffering it's brought to his life. Um, it's been devastating and, and there's millions of people that are watching a family member struggle and often they don't want to get help They're there. We have a lot of problems here, at least in the United States. There's a, we want to democratize access to mental health care. A lot of insurances, uh, don't cover it. And even if they do, there's maybe a handful of, of sessions. So it's very cost prohibitive for many people. Access to access to help, you know, during COVID, telehealth became very popular. So it was a little more affordable, but still, you know, out of reach for a lot of people. And sadly, a lot of people um, simply don't want help. They don't feel that they have a problem or that anything's wrong. Um, but we, we definitely, I know with my own family member, you know, initially when he was first diagnosed, he, we, we were talking one night and he said something to me like, dude, does it seem like I'm crazy or something? And I, and I, I tried to be kind and I said, well, yes, it, you know, the, the things that you're doing are scary to people, but I don't want you to be embarrassed. I was trying to explain to him that, you know, women go through menopause in their fifties most often. And, you know, hor there's hormonal changes and brain changes. Look at all the seniors when they start having memory impairment that so many things are, are out of our control and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Nobody out there, when you're talking about cancer or leukemia or, you know, Lou Gehrig's or multiple sclerosis, any of these horrible diseases, nobody feels shame when they're talking. There's no shame component. You know, if you were talking about a family member, it's not something people are embarrassed to talk about. They're they're in pain and they're devastated, but there's no shame. And for some reason, 
the 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 stigma and the and the embarrassment it's it's different from mental health and many people are really really embarrassed to talk about it and share their struggles when so often it's out of their control you know sometimes it's a neurotransmitter uh, deficiency or something's off with the brain chemicals, but um, a lot of it's unexplained. We don't know why things happen, but there are lots. There is a lot of help out there, and we want to talk about that and share that and help people feel they're not alone. So that's the goal of the show, and I'm so grateful if you're listening. I hope that you'll share this with your friends. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting show. We're going to do our best to have, we have so many interesting guests lined up. So if you have any ideas, please email us, shoot, shoot to us, uh, shoot us a message on our social media page or website. We're always open and we're just so grateful to have you here. with. Thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of American Mood Swings, where we talk about the brain and all things mental health. Hope to see you next week and please share with your friends. 